Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says interest rates will likely be higher than originally thought. He says the fight against inflation has a long way to go. Could be bumpy. President Biden wants to give wealthy Americans a big tax hike and attempt to address the Medicare funding crisis. Will it work? A bank sues the Biden administration to end the pause on federal student loan payments. It claims it lost millions of dollars because of the pause. The Justice Department suing to stop an airline merger is the first such case in over two decades. Salesforce becomes the latest tech giant to implement generative AI into their services. Find out what it is and how it works. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. Wall Street ended sharply lower today after Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell suggested interest rates may be higher and for longer. More on that in just a moment. The Dow fell 575 points or 1.7 percent, turned negative for the year, down about 0.9 percent. S&P dropped 62 points or 1.5 percent. NASDAQ lost 145 points or 1.3 percent. The Federal Reserve will likely raise interest rates more than previously expected. Fed Chair Jerome Powell hinted at that today during his testimony before a Senate committee. This could be the case if data continues to point to a robust economy and persistently high inflation. The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. Powell also says the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. Senators responded with a broad set of questions, and many asked whether the Fed was dealing with inflation correctly. Some wanted to know if the Fed can fight inflation without hurting economic growth and the job market. But it seems like Powell is hinting that higher unemployment is expected. That said, there is little sign of disinflation thus far in the category of core services excluding housing, a category that accounts for more than half of core consumer expenditures. To restore price stability, we'll need to see lower inflation in this sector, and there will very likely be some softening in the labor market conditions. In an exchange between Powell and committee member Elizabeth Warren, the Fed chair hinted that it wouldn't be that bad, even if the current unemployment rate rises to 4.4 percent, with 2 million more people being laid off. He said it will still be well better than in the last 75 years. Joining us is William Luther, director of AIER Sound Money Project and associate professor of economics at Florida Atlantic University. So in light of this uh, hearing today where Powell testified in, in front of a Senate committee, let's start with what, what do you think is the cause of inflation? Well, you know, certainly in the, in the meeting today, the, the surprising thing was what Senate Democrats think is the cause of inflation. Um, in his opening remarks, Sherrod Brown um, appointed to supply disturbances related to the pandemic, um, the avian flu, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, all supply-side factors. Um, but the evidence that has uh, come out over the last year and a half indicates that prices are high today because of demand-side factors. In particular, we had a big boost of fiscal spending, which was accommodated by the Federal Reserve. That caused nominal spending to surge, and, and prices have arisen uh, as, as a consequence. 
Maybe just elaborate a little bit. Why does the war in Ukraine not affect inflation? Why does uh, supply side issues, uh, in your opinion, is not the cause? Well, certainly supply side issues can cause prices to rise. Um, but what happens when you have a supply constraint um, is that prices rise above trend while supplies are constrained. And then as those constraints ease up, prices return to trend. If we look at real output in the economy, the amount of real goods and services that Americans are producing, we see that those supply constraints have eased up. Have we seen prices return to trend? No. To the contrary, prices have grown even more rapidly. Um, and so that's just not consistent with that supply constraints narrative. How effective is it uh, when we're relying on the Fed uh, to fix inflation? Well, the, the big problem here is that the Fed got a very late start. Uh, it didn't recognize that it was dealing with demand-side inflation until late November, early December of uh, 2021. And it didn't really take policy actions to, to deal with that until May and June of 2022. All of that said, the Fed is in position to slow nominal spending and bring inflation down. That, that is uh, in line with the tools that it has. Most of our inflation today is not due to those supply constraints. It's due to, to demand-side factors. And that is precisely the area where the, where the Fed can be most effective. I see. Now, another topic that was being talked about in this hearing was unemployment. Let me ask you, do you have to ha have higher unemployment in order for inflation to come down? The Federal Reserve uh, faces no meaningful trade-off between inflation and unemployment. Um, and in the longer run, uh, low inflation will uh, uh, tend to coincide with low employment, uh, with low unemployment, because uh, labor markets work, work best when individuals can predict what the dollar will be worth into the future. Um, it's possible that some people took jobs over the last year because they were, were fooled into taking those jobs. The, the offers looked good, given their expectations of inflation, but inflation turned out to be higher than they were expecting. If they had known how much uh, in inflation we would experience, they would have been a little more reluctant to take those jobs at those wages. Uh, and to the extent that that happened, as individuals uh, update their beliefs about prices, as they come to realize that prices have grown more rapidly, uh, some individuals will leave those jobs and some firms will, will um, eliminate those positions because um, they're, they're not desirable positions given the underlying fundamentals of the economy. The important thing to note, though, is that if that's the position that we're in, then unemployment is going to rise regardless of whether the Fed gets inflation under control or not. And so the question is whether we have a slightly higher rate of uh, unemployment and high inflation or a slightly higher unemployment rate and low inflation, but no meaningful trade-off between uh, inflation and unemployment. All right. Thank you very much, William, for your valuable insight today. Pleasure having you on. My pleasure. A private bank called SoFi has filed a lawsuit over Biden administration's pause on federal student loan payments. SoFi is asking a federal judge to overturn President Biden's latest extension of the payment hiatus. SoFi offers student loan refinancing and private student loans. It says its business suffered because of borrowers having little incentive to refinance while payments and interest remain on hold. The moratorium on student loans was intended to help borrowers during the pandemic. 
SoFi claims the most recent extension has costed at least $6 million in lost profits, and it could cost it up to $30 million if the pause continues through August. And President Biden has a plan to address the Medicare funding crisis by taxing the rich. He wants to raise taxes on both earned and unearned income above $400,000 from 3.8% to 5%. He says this will keep Medicare funded through the year 2050, whereas right now Medicare is expected to run out of money by 2028. Medicare is a federal health insurance program. Many of the elderly depend on Medicare, but for a long time, the program has been at risk of running out. For years, politicians have tried to solve this problem. Biden's tax hike on the wealthy is just the latest attempt. We spoke to the Tax Foundation, a nonpartisan tax policy research organization, to get their take. Here's senior economist Erica York. It goes in the wrong direction of what the economy needs right now, with a, the potential of a recession looming, high interest rates and inflation. Um, we need tax changes that encourage the product, productivity. Increasing taxes on work and investment will reduce economic growth. It, it reduces incentives to make productive investments. It reduces incentives to work and to work more, which will in the long run discourage economic growth. York says what Biden is proposing is a major tax increase. It could lead to over $200 billion in tax revenue over 10 years. York says that when people are taxed more, it affects the economic decisions they make. Those decisions often end up resulting in less work. They may not pursue the the next best thing, or they may reduce um, their their hours worked in particular. There's also... um, effects on entering the labor force. Now, at, at the rates that we're talking, that the top marginal tax rates, that's less of an issue. We're, we're looking more at the issue of the intensity of, of work. And we're also looking at um, the, the returns to entrepreneurial activity. To get another perspective on the issue, we spoke to financial planner Brian Caderna. Roughly half of Caderna's clients are people who have retired or are about to retire. And Medicare is a topic he frequently discusses with them. He says Biden's plan is not a cure-all and is kicking the can down the road. Coderna believes a key way to solve the Medicare issue is changing the amount of money retirees are given. So there needs to be some reduction in benefits, all right? That's taboo for a politician to say. They know that no voter is going to say, yeah, that sounds good to me. Adjustment for Medicare is inevitable. And until they have that discussion, I think we're just using these little stop gaps of raise taxes, renegotiate, you know, uh, drug prices, a uh, little helps, but it's not going to salvage the program for the long term. Other than that, what else could be done to solve the Medicare funding crisis? We spoke to Wayne Weingarten, a senior fellow at the Pacific Research Institute. Weingarten has spent decades analyzing public policy issues and how they impact the economy. Weingarten says we need to fix the broader healthcare system, which will bring down overall costs. So basically address the expense side of things, not the funding side. According to him, these fixes could include empowering individuals to purchase their own insurance, creating competition among insurers, and getting government out of the system. Government's not very good at providing those types of services. They're very good at giving away money, of providing the support people need. They're not very good at running you know, they're not an insurer, right? So leave that to the experts and then help people purchase the insurance they need. 
Meanwhile, Biden will release his full plan to address the Medicare funding crisis on Thursday. It's part of his incoming budget plan, which is unlikely to go far because of a divided Congress. And moving on, while President Biden is trying to raise taxes, some states are cutting taxes. Soon, West Virginia and Utah could be added to the list. West Virginia's governor is expected to sign a bill that passed the state house this weekend. According to the Wall Street Journal, the bill would cut income tax rates by about 21 percent altogether. And over in Utah, the state legislature approved a $400 million tax cut package. Axios reports if Utah's governor signs it, it could save a family earning 80 grand over $200 per year. According to the Tax Foundation, 21 states have cut income tax rates since 2021. Joining us is Jonathan Williams, Chief Economist at American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. It's a nonpartisan organization of state legislators, and they draft and share model legislation for distribution among state governments. Now, Jonathan, I was thinking maybe to start off, uh, would you mind giving us a quick overview of the states that are cutting income taxes? It's been a remarkable two years now, really, where we've seen uh, nearly half of the states uh, really reduce income tax rates on hardworking taxpayers across the board on individual income tax. Uh, and it's been a great development for states that want to make themselves more competitive because right now one of the biggest trends that we see is these historic budget surpluses that states see right now. And oftentimes you get the remark that, you know, we've got so much money, we don't want, know what we're going to do with all of it. And that's somewhat terrifying uh, that we're going to see that much potential new spending just because there's so much surplus money sitting in the 50 state capitals. But to their credit, uh, just this week, we saw West Virginia enact the largest tax cut in state history as Governor Justice signs that into law. We saw Utah uh, this week uh, cut taxes once again on personal income, reducing their income tax rates. Uh, but all of a sudden, it's been an incredible two years of tax cuts. We've seen a revolution across the states of the flat taxes, uh, states deciding to get rid of their formerly progressive income tax codes and stop penalizing people for being more successful in, uh, in their states and stop penalizing small businesses. And so this has been, uh, while Washington, D.C., we can have a lot to say about that in another conversation in terms of just kind of the, the bad outcomes that we've seen with the historic inflation and the overspending, states are doing the right thing. They're balancing their budgets and they're looking for ways to give this surplus, which after all, at the end of the day, is an overcollection of tax revenue back to those who generated the tax revenue and that's small businesses and individuals. No, it's interesting because Biden is talking about raising taxes on billionaires, that is. I wonder, you know, we're seeing this trend, right? What's behind this trend? What's state, uh, state governments seeing that's different from what Biden's doing? Well, that, that's actually a great point because that's one of the reasons as we talk to our Alex state legislators who are leading the way on these tax cuts across the states, they're saying we need to provide a counterbalance to what's going on in Washington with taxes going up and proposals for even higher taxes and just the out-of-control inflation and spending that we're seeing in Washington, especially out of this administration and out of the Senate. Uh, we, you know, we're seeing a, a desire, I think, from the men and women who are leaders in the states to say we can only control what we 
have in front of us at the state level. But we must balance our budget, contrary to Washington, D.C. And secondly, if D.C. is going to be talking about higher taxes in the Biden administration, we need to be providing lower taxes and inflation protection uh, for our hardworking constituents. That's the difference. D.C. is looking for bigger government solutions and doubling down on this spending, a problem that has led to the failure of inflation and 40-year highs. And the states are actually innovating. They're being these laboratories of democracy. And then we can all hope that we can learn a lesson here in Washington and take a page for what is working in the successful states that are looking to cut taxes and restrain spending. You know, it's interesting you mentioned inflation. I'm glad you mentioned that. Does cutting taxes help reduce inflation? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is what we need is a supply side uh, revolution that we saw in the Reagan era in the 1980s when you saw uh, Paul Volcker at the Federal Reserve obviously had to do some very painful things with reducing or with trying to get inflation under control and raising interest rates. But the, I think, under-discussed element of the 1980s was the Reagan tax cuts that reduced taxes and actually aided productivity in the economy. And that's the thing and I think there's an easy way of battling inflation and there's a hard way. The painful way of battling inflation is by raising rates and causing more crises in the housing market, as we've seen in many markets across the country, making it more expensive for small businesses to get a loan on new projects. Or there's the way that I think is the natural and the much less painful way of dealing with inflation, and that is enhancing productivity in America. And how do you do that? Through supply-side tax cuts like the Reagan administration, the Trump tax tax cuts, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, those all of the individual tax cuts of that reform go away automatically by 2025. There's got to be a real discussion here in Washington of what can we do to avoid that massive tax increase that would happen under the phase-out rules of that uh, Trump tax cut of uh, 2017. But at the end of the day, the states are controlling the policy that's in front of them and what they can control. And I think these efforts that you're seeing to enhance the supply side and, and productivity enhancing tax cuts at the state level are exactly the kind of reforms that we need to be talking about as a country to get inflation under control without that painful rate increase that we're going to continue to see otherwise from the Federal Reserve. All right. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It was great talking to you today. Thanks for having me. The Justice Department is suing to stop JetBlue's proposed deal to buy a discount carrier, Spirit Airlines, for nearly $4 billion. This is the first time in more than 20 years that the government has sought to block a U.S. airline merger. The Biden administration has long argued there needs to be greater competition between businesses, especially in the airline industry, to lower costs for customers. JetBlue, however, argues the deal would create a new, stronger competitor to the four larger airlines and that it will work to bring down fares, not to increase them. But it seems like Attorney General Merrick Garland disagrees. We allege that if allowed to proceed, this merger will limit choices and drive up ticket prices for passengers across the country. And we further allege that the impact of this merger will be particularly harmful for travelers who rely on what are known as ultra-low-cost carriers in order to fly. And Salesforce has created the world's first generative AI program for its popular customer relationship management tools. The company said today that it will release software incorporating artificial intelligence to help salespeople, customer service agents, and marketers. And T.T. Sean Marshall has more details. Salesforce, the global leader in customer relationship management, or CRM technology, launched Einstein GPT on Tuesday. It's the world's first generative AI technology for CRM. 
delivering AI-created content across every sales, service, marketing, commerce, and IT interaction. A number of activist investors have recently been pressuring Salesforce to focus more on profitability. I spoke with Mark Seal, an expert in the field of AI implementation into businesses. I asked him if he thinks this tech will cause even more job cuts. I think the implementation of AI within Salesforce and, and other uh, tools is going to result in people being able to be more productive. Perhaps there won't be as many jobs, but it's also going to create opportunities for uh, others to step in into new roles that'll be necessary, such as prompt engineering and, and various others. Examples of what Einstein GPT can generate include personalized emails for salespeople to send to customers, specific responses to customer questions, targeted content for marketers to increase campaign response rates, and code for developers. I asked Seal how this is an improvement over the simple customer service bots people have become used to. It allows for more uh, decisive interpretation of the needs of what an individual is saying and the ability to take that and produce a response that's more organic um, and more tailored to what the customer or, or client needs. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff says they plan to use Einstein GPT in combination with their data cloud in Tableau, MuleSoft, and Slack to open doors to the AI future for all their customers. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Still to come after the break, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children releases a new tool. The service helps kids, teens, and young adults remove explicit images of themselves online. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Senator Mark Warner of Virginia has proposed a bill that could lead to a TikTok ban. It would give Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo the power to ban apps like TikTok if they're a national security risk. Tristan Harris, co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, earlier said the app prioritizes showing educational videos to kids in China, but not kids in the U.S. He says, quote, they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. In February, the White House banned TikTok from all government devices. Also in February, Representative Mike McCall of Texas introduced a bill that would give President Biden the authority to ban TikTok from all U.S. devices. India, Taiwan, the European Union, and several U.S. states have already ordered similar bans. The bill will be submitted this week. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received around 20 million reports of suspected online child sexual abuse and exploitation in 2020. A staggering 32 million tips came into the nonprofit's cyber tip line last year. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports on the organization's new tool empowering kids and teens. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children Take It Down tool allows users to remove explicit underage images of themselves from online platforms. One of the biggest problems facing teens is called sextortion. And basically they start talking with the teen and before they, before they know it, the teen's sharing an illicit image or video. And within minutes, uh, they're turning around and asking for financial compensation or they'll blast that image or video to their family, friends, school, you name it. Explicit unwanted images online are an adult problem. Most kids can't deal. 
what's really concerning to us is kids are, are committing suicide as a result of this. We're seeing kids just get so stressed out. They're giving in to demands. Um, and, and honestly, they just don't feel like there's anything they can do to get out of this situation. Users direct the tool to an image or video on their device that they would like taken down. They need to have possession of the specific material they want removed. Take It Down creates a hash or digital fingerprint of that image or video on your device. Then the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and participating electronic service providers use that hash to take down the material. Kids and teens can also use the tool to preempt an image or video from being uploaded onto these platforms in the first place. The person you're on the other end of the line with may not be the person you think they are. Also, you know, keep in mind that the person that is on the other end of the line, they may not be your best buddy in, you know, a day, a week, a year. Kids used to be taught not to get into cars with strangers. Now the predators are in the home. The reality is that here, here in 2023, the white van is in your living room. The white van is sitting in your pocket in some cases. So having the same conversations around safety that we would have back then with when it was a real world you know, threat, uh, having those same conversations now in the digital world is paramount. Facebook, Instagram, Yubo, OnlyFans, and Pornhub are currently participating. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children expects more online platforms to join soon. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Mai. Go follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.